do your thing. Do my, do my thing. Do, 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 do your thing. Ouch. Uh, okay, I do my thing, and I read your story, and I tell you about a lady, and I tell you about people, and I tell you about history. I'm and so I, itchy. And then it's itchy. And you sound drunk. And I'm a little drunk, and it's getting a little bark out now. I need a massage. Me too. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Naughty to rouge your lips. Take your shoulders, take your hips. The little lady confess I wanna be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Let's talk about some stuff. Hello, everybody. Welcome to <laughs> Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome. Uh, I'm Deanna, and that's Hannah. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. On this podcast, we talk about. Good witches and bad bitches through history or in modern day or something. Basically, just people whose stories need to get told who are not cis straight white dudes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is the basic idea. Yeah, I like that description. Uh-huh. It's a little rambly, but, you know, we'll go with it. You know, <laughs> it, it, we're going to have lots of rambling in this episode. As you will soon yeah. see, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a special, exceptional episode. It's going to be a good one. Well, that has a good conversation to be had, um, I hope. But uh, first things first, um, we should talk about France's anti-harassment laws. Yeah, because I didn't know that this, I didn't know any of the stuff around it until you told me this morning. And then obviously you told me why they changed it. But it was all news to me, so I want to hear. Yeah, so um, this article that I'm going to be mostly reading from to inspire the conversation is from NPR. And uh, it's uh, France bans street harassment, approving hefty fines for cat callers, which Ugh. sounds really cool to me. Um, but f- France has been kind of lax and behind on many attitudes when it comes to cat calling. And apparently, cat calling in France is awful. Like I learned this on July 4th, I hung out with Caroline and um, her cousin was in town and her cousin's girlfriend. And I, I got to chat a little bit with the, um, the girlfriend, her name's Louise. And she, um, she was just telling me how terrible it is. And I've heard from Caroline too, like if you wear a skirt in Paris, expect to be harassed, which Gross. is like, even if you're not wearing a skirt, but like Caroline said, one day she walked out of her apartment and men picked her up what? Like physical touching her. Like it's insane. Anyway, Francis has a real problem with catcalling, especially Paris. But, um, oh no. Okay. So French lawmakers have approved a measure outlawing sexual harassment in the street, rendering catcalling and lewd or degrading comments a crime punishable by on the spot fines of up to 750 euros, Fuck yeah. which is about the equivalent of $870. <laughs> Ugh, that's nice. (laughs) The country's Senate passed the legislation late Wednesday as part of a broader package of measures targeting sexual violence, which the lower house of parliament advanced earlier this year. Also included in the legislation are provisions to more broadly protect minors under the age of 15, making it easier for alleged underage rape victims to prove a lack of consent and extending the deadline to file their complaints by a decade, which is fantastic. Cause I mean, I get that age of consent varies from country to country, but as an American, 
it's kind of disturbing to me to have an age of consent that's 15 because that's their age of consent in France. Yeah. Um, but also I learned this week in discussing this that, uh, and, and we were talking about this earlier, that France had, until now, it seems like they're cracking down a little bit, had a very um, low level of punishment for people who would have sex with people under the age of 15. And they wouldn't call it rape No, it's The no, way well, we call it statutory rape. Yeah, it's not, it was, statutory rape was like not really an official thing in France because apparently... Caroline was telling me a specific instance, like just recently in the news about a 22 year old man who raped an 11 year old, but yeah, which is disgusting, but he didn't get charged with rape because the 11 year old, they, they couldn't prove violence or coercion. And the 11 year old, you know, quote unquote, wasn't wanted, wanted it, it um, and agreed to participate. And so in their minds, she was consenting. So he didn't get, slapped with a rape charge because in France, the definition of rape is very, very tied to violence. Yeah. And that to me is, is absolutely disgusting. And I'm glad that they're finally sort of cracking down on it. Yeah. Figuring um, it out. Cause there's a, a, this other article that I actually read just before, um, which it was written a few years ago, but it's from Exo Jane, <clears throat> um, written by, um, this woman, named Emily. It was in 2013 and it's called the myth of the teenage temptress or why a young girl cannot consent to sex with an adult man. And I mean, obviously teenage girls can pursue older men. They can, but that doesn't mean that they're psychologically and emotionally (laughs) in a place where they're consent. Like this, this person who wrote this article she was saying that she started sleeping with adult men, like in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, when she Ugh. was 13. Oh. And she, which is horrible. And she was like, I actively sought them out. But that doesn't mean that that wasn't, like, I couldn't consent. Yeah. That's not, you know, let me see. It's, it's a great article. I don't want to, like, read the entire thing. Well, clearly but she said, was- she, you know. It was said, unlike boys my own age who cruelly taunted me, older men were nice to me. Unlike my emotionally distant father, older men paid attention to me. They were grooming me, but to that chubby, attention-starved teenage girl, their attentions felt a lot like love. And I I was not coerced. I consented to all these sexual encounters in the basis sense of the word, but I was making choices that I wasn't emotionally equipped to make. Legally, that's why statutory rape laws exist. Because like an intoxicated person, an underage person is not truly capable of informed consent. Like, an 11-year-old? Are you kidding me? Well, and I can only imagine how deeply that traumatized her later on when she really, when she started to figure out what that meant, what those actions meant, and what those decisions meant, Mm -hmm. and what they, you know, I don't know, just, like, how they changed her. And I I, I can imagine how I would feel, and I think I would feel really sad and really... I don't know, like heartbroken by that, by, by the fact that me at that age felt like that was a decision I had to make. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's a big, that's a big part of why, like what she says, they're incapable of making those decisions in an informed way is so true. Yeah. Cause no, I fuck. I mean, so many of the decisions I made that were not sex related were fucking stupid. Like I did stupid shit when I was a kid. We all did. We all did. 
And, and you know, I was I was a pretty smart kid. Yeah, me too. But kids are kids. <laughs> Still stupid. Kids are all stupid, but they they have to grow into their adult brain and logic that makes sense to you when you're 13, 14 years old is not adult logic. Yeah. And your hormones are also going insane. And yeah, the difference between attention and actual like affection and care for a person, those are different. Well, and so many girls are were inundated from a very young age with this concept of like male attention, like the male gaze is a good thing, and you mm-hmm. want that, mm-hmm. and and so. And sometimes you do in certain ways. Yeah, just but, but not fucked up ways. Yeah, I there, mean it's a fine line sometimes, but. Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that France is starting to do something about that. Yeah. I mean, because France is generally viewed as like a very progressive country. Yeah. And yet in some ways they're still seeming to be a little bit behind on some things. Yes. I mean, and I know that, you know, like people like Marine Le Pen exist and Islamophobia is huge in France right now. Um, Of course, that's not everybody and most like cosmopolitan young folks are are pretty open minded. Like every French person that I have gotten close to is very open minded and thoughtful and. Yeah, but well, it's a lot. that's it's certainly like, not representative of everyone. Yeah, it's it's very much part of like the generational differences that we see in this country too, like to older generations. Yeah, but you can't you can't just give a pass because you even look at this country and the number of young no. white nationalists that exist and all the incels. They're mostly they're no, they're all young. Uh huh. I mean, there's <laughs> it's yep. It's. Insane. We live in fucked up times, man. We do, but at least we're <laughs> striving toward. Yeah, there's enough of us that are like, mm, this like isn't actually okay. That hopefully that means it'll change, start to change, at some point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's oh, it's also sometimes I feel depressed and sometimes I feel hopeful and. It's a roller coaster. It's a human condition. Yeah, man, do you want to tell me who your person is? Dive right in. Dive right in. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> do you want to <laughs> have, well, have a, a minor conversation first? Yeah. Because we... I'll follow your lead because I don't know who your person uh, is sure. and kind of how you want to... I mean, I so I have a little bit of like a, a preface that I wrote all of. Ooh. <laughs> I didn't crave any of it. Um... To kind of talk about conversation, because it was a conversation all of us had, you, me, and Ben, mm-hmm. about what our podcast specifically is. Right. And what we want to talk about. And um, there were things about it that, like, you and I took for granted sure. without really realizing that that's what we were doing mm-hmm. given what we named it and given like how, how we talk how about we've it. talked about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So right. All right. So let me just read my preface and then we can have a little bit of a conversation and then we can delve in. Cool, so cool. get ready everybody because speaking of philosophy. <laughs> oh no. Um, all right. 
So there are a lot of delicate sort of gray areas in covering the person that I'm going to talk about today. Um, and I do want to preface it by saying that as a cisgendered white woman, um, I'm open to learning and growing from discussion about this person. And I want to be culturally sensitive and sensitive to um, the notion of what being a woman is and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to generally use terms that in my research I have found to be the most commonly used to describe this person's gender and culture. Uh, I'm going to do my absolute best to be as sensitive to the fact that I don't always know if it will be the right way to go about it. Um, but ultimately my feeling on this matter is that I would rather talk about this person who I found to be inspiring and I find that my fear of not being able to say everything 100% right all the time, because uh, in many ways there is a general consensus about terms to use. The consensus won't be good enough for every single person. Yeah. Um, that my fear should not outweigh being able to talk about an amazing, cool person on a podcast that to my intent is about marginalized stories of people who their story may or may not um, – get swept under the rug. Yeah. Now, in the past, we have talked about how this is a podcast about women. And we are not trans-exclusionary radical feminists. <laughs> we, so yeah. we have never had any sort of... We knew we have trans women that we want to cover. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not the issue here. Um, the issue here is that I'm going to talk about a person who came from a different time and came from a culture where there was a, a uh, accepted third gender, which doesn't necessarily make this person a woman per se, because I'm trying to be sensitive yeah. to the fact that there are non-binary folks and non-binary folks might take offense to being lumped in with a woman as a woman, because that's, you know, categorizing them within the binary. Right. But our podcast is about feminine inclined folks. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, um, this person was born in 1854. And so the, the vocabulary that we have today didn't really apply and, and it's not really it's fair not, to put that on exactly, them. Exactly. Because we have different terminology that, like, they may or may not have used. Yeah, which they definitely didn't. <laughs> I mean, they may or may not have used, like, if they were and here he, now. Yes. So, okay. I'm going to... Do you have anything that you want to add to that, like, idea? Only, uh, only that I think... What I like about the fact that we've had that we had this conversation and, and realized some of these things is like, you know, when we started this podcast, the idea behind doing a, a podcast about women was not was not about doing a podcast about only, you know, Cisgender what specific type women. of yeah. quote woman. Right. It was about telling stories that were not cis white male stories. Yeah. And, and sort of exposing ourselves and our listeners to stories in, in history that might give us a different view of 
certain events that happened or discoveries that were made, mm -hmm. like, i.e. Rosalind Franklin, or, like, what the binary looked like, right. you know? I think there are there is a lot of evidence that gender nonconforming and non-binary people have existed for a very, very long time, and obviously. And were, in fact, accepted and, yeah. and revered. Yes. And, yeah. and it's interesting that, you know, our modern day, generally Eurocentric standards have pervaded and erased this from history. Right. Stories that the patriarchy is... Has distorted. Has distorted or, or is guilty of hiding, you know, in order to tell a more cis white male narrative. And the reason why, while being sensitive to the fact that, you know, a third gender is not the same thing as a woman specifically and that non-binary non people or gender fluid people don't fall into this category. This person didn't, doesn't exist today. And this person, I felt that she, and I'm going to refer to her by she, her pronouns, because that, I think that's the generally accepted as to what she went by. Yeah. Um, she, Def, I think defined herself as a woman. I have this quote, and this is why I wanted to include her on this podcast, because um, she uh, da, 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 da. Uh, she existed as a known and respected third gender within her community, but in her own words, when asked by a you know white dudes, "Why do you dress like a woman?" she would say, "I'm inclined to be a woman, not a man." So mm, yeah, in her own words. In her own words. Yeah. That's how she explained it to European men. Right. Which should simplify the matter, but we have all of these, all of these criteria about what it means to say you're a woman and, and why, when you're allowed to do that and why mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that have sort of clearly complicated mm -hmm. this conversation through the years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's. I think it's more than fair to use her own words as your jumping off point for this. Right. So. Exactly. But I wanted to preface all of that. Yes. Because it would be unfair not to address it. And I'm sure some listeners will have their own opinions or ideas about it. But. Right. But I want to talk about her. And I think that people need to know her. Yeah. So. And I think it's good that we're, that we're having this conversation now because it's, it has opened our eyes to some of the ways that we, that we talk about ourselves as a podcast and mm -hmm. some of the ways that we've self-limited just by using certain verbiage um, unintentionally. Right. You know, just because we, you know, we were excited to tell certain stories. And I think from now on, the goal is to include stories, in my opinion, of people who would be today, I think would be, would consider themselves non-binary in some ways, because I think, you know, in the future of the podcast, mm -hmm. um, because those are stories that are just as important hidden and distorted by history and mm -hmm. yes, important. And I think that more than anything, that's what that's where we're coming from, and that's what we want to be talking about this on this podcast. Because if anything, we want to be more about inclusion than exclusion. Right. Yep. So that's the point. 
I mean, because the term, you think about the term witch and the term bitch or whatever. Yeah. Like, bitch obviously is gendered just inherently. Yeah. Even though I call everybody a bitch. But mm-hmm. it, it does mean phenol dog. Yeah. <clears throat> but witch, to me, isn't necessarily gendered. Like, I think no. you can ha- you can be a non-binary witch. Actually, now that I think about it, my my friend Jay from Savannah is dating a non-binary person and she referred to them as very witchy. So, well, which the word witch is means anybody who practices like a form of paganism. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Not male or female. Literally. Yeah. Yeah, it just means person who does that. And so, like this idea of of feminizing the word witch just comes from again the patriarchy trying to vilify women Mm -hmm. and give them a scary name for people to, you know, be, be frightened of. But, but technically that's not actually like what it means. The conversation started and we ultimately came to the conclusion after lots of notions of, we don't want to offend the wrong people. And because the goal of the podcast is not, to be uh, incendiary in that way. Yeah. Yeah, We don't want to be insensitive. (laughs) Right. Like we don't want to, we don't want to necessarily be co-opting stories just to, just to tell them, like we want to be clear about why we're telling them Mm -hmm. and why we chose to do so. And that we are aware of the gray area, the gray area. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come at it with the utmost Respect and sensitivity. Yeah. That being said. Cool. Thank you for sticking with with (laughs) us through that. Today, uh, I'm going to be talking about the incredible Crow Nation warrior, Oshtish. Mm. Have you heard of her? I've heard this name, yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I have a couple of like areas that I researched with respect to wanting to be sensitive to culture and all that. Um, I want to start talking about people who are known as Two Spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, two Spirit is a modern pan-Indian umbrella term used by some indigenous North Americans to describe certain people in their communities who fulfill a traditional third gender or other gender variant ceremonial role in their cultures. The term was adopted by consensus in 1990 at an indigenous lesbian and gay international gathering to encourage the replacement of the outdated and now seen as inappropriate anthropological term burdash. Before the late 20th century, non-native anthropologists used the generic term burdash to identify an indigenous individual fulfilling one of many mixed gender roles in their tribe. They primarily used it to identify feminine native men. Its etymology, however, was incredibly offensive, oh. of course. Um, it derives from the French bardache, meaning passive homosexual, uh, catamite, which is a boy kept for homosexual practices, oh. or even male prostitute. Good. Yep. Okay. Um, bardache, in turn, derived from the Persian barda, meaning captive, prisoner of war, or slave. Yikes. So calling Mm. those people that and having that be the official term is kind of not really great. No. Um, So the gross term of burdash has now been replaced with the self-chosen two-spirit. The decision to adopt this new pan-Indian umbrella term was deliberate. Uh, 
uh, with a clear intention to distance themselves from non-native gays and lesbians, and as well from non-native terminology, uh, like Hmm. burdash, gay, lesbian, and trans. Interesting. The term two-spirit is an Aboriginal-specific term of resistance to colonization and non-transferable to other cultures. Fair. So, um, historically, the presence of, uh, and again, I'm going to be using a lot of terminology that was in the articles, and I'm going to address this. The presence of so-called, quote, male-bodied two-spirits was a fundamental institution among most tribal peoples, and both the male and female-bodied two-spirits have been documented in over 130 North American tribes in every region of the continent. So, so very many uh, tribes had some form of two-spirit people. Right. There are lots of actually photos mm-hmm. of, of people um, for, like going as far back as like, I mean, I think the 1800s. Yeah. Um, that are really cool that maybe we should put on our Instagram. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, Male-bodied two-spirit people, regardless of gender identification, can go to war and have access to male male activities, such as male-only sweat lodge ceremonies. However, they may also take on feminine activities, such as cooking and other domestic responsibilities. According to some anthropologists, female assigned at birth to spirits usually have sexual relations or marriages with only women. Oh, interesting. Yes, but it's not the same thing as gay or... Right. That was the whole point of the, like, meeting in 1990 where they wanted to come up with the term. Um, do, do, do... That being said, with over 500 surviving Native American cultures, attitudes about sex and gender can be very diverse. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, <laughs> the fact two-spirit is a very broad term that doesn't apply to specific tribes. Right. Um, even with the modern adoption of terms like two-spirit and the creation of a modern pan-Indian community around the naming, not all cultures will perceive two-spirits the same way or welcome this type of term to replace the terms they already use in their culture. Additionally, not all contemporary indigenous communities are supportive of their gender variant and non-heterosexual people now. In these communities, those looking for two-spirit communities have sometimes faced oppression and rejection. While existing terminology in many nations shows historical acknowledgement of differing sexual orientations and gender expressions, members of some of these nations have also said that while variance is accepted, they never had uh, separate or defined roles for these members of the community. Hmm. Now... Um, two-spirit is a term that's uh, likely to trip up a lot of people. Um, virtually all Native American tribes subscribe to the idea of more than two genders, encompassing identities such as women born as men and vice versa, as well as homosexual, pansexual, and asexual people and the like. Two-spirit is most closely analogous to transgender, but is not a direct synonym and should absolutely not be used in this case, as many two-spirits take exception to being lumped under or appropriated by that term. The terms male-bodied and female-bodied are also troublesome. Uh, The preferred term right now in our modern vernacular is, of course, assigned male at birth or assigned Mm -hmm. female at birth, but that unfortunately may also not be accurate in this particular case. Not all Native tribes assign gender at birth, some wait as late as four years old, and there's no evidence that Oshtish was ever assigned male by her tribe. Interesting. So it's all very cloudy. It's all very murky. Um... The Oshtish was part of the Crow Nation. Uh, They wore clothing distinguished by gender. You know, most cultures have that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But they also, interestingly enough, had a matrilineal system, I learned. 
Okay. So after marriage, the couple would, like, the husband moved into the wife's mother's house. Oh. Yeah. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yep. Um, women held a significant role within this tribe. The crow have a name for, quote, male-bodied, two spirits, which is bate or bade. It's a term I'm going to continue to use from here on out when referring to Ashtish because it's the term that her culture specifically used. Okay. So we talked about two spirits. I feel like this is a very academic episode. But, <laughs> no, but I think it's the right way to... To go about to it. To dig into it, yeah. Because, yeah. like, I don't have any of this background. And I'm just trying not to be flippant about it in any way, shape, or form. Well, and it because it is, it sounds, I mean, it's very much, there's a lot of gray area. And mm-hmm. to understand kind of, like, where some of that gray area is, like, for example, the fact that two spirits is not synonymous with transgender is really important, and I, it's not something I knew. Right. So, yeah, I think that. And Sorry a lot if of, it's like, it's a lot of information, guys, yeah. but I think you will appreciate you it. Mean, if I didn't cover it, it would be insensitive, I think. Yeah. Um, or, you know, not, no, just insensitive. That's so. But, um, and I know that a lot of, because as is true commonly with um, mostly white Americans in, in the U.S., they like to um, appropriate a lot of Native American culture yeah. For the sake of being like free spirited or oh God, boho spirit or whatever. Um, which I am guilty of saying that from time to time, I will say. Um, we all are. And, but um, I know a lot of uh, like white trans people are trying to co-opt the term two spirit and the oh. indigenous community is like, no fucking way. This is, that's why I said it's mm. very specific about native culture only. Yeah. All right. Blah, blah, blah. Whew. Okay. Now on to the main event. Woohoo! Let's talk about Ashtish. Her name translates to finds them and kills them. <laughs> In Crow. <laughs> I love that. Um, she was one of the last of the Crow Nation Bate. Uh, she was born oh. in 1854. Uh, da, da, da. As a Bate... Ashtish lived apart from the main area of the camp and had duties ranging from artist to medicine woman to shaman. By reputation, Bate excelled in women's work, such as cooking, butchering, hide tanning, uh, use of hides to make clothing, lodges, and other items. Cool. So they would, like, make clothes and construct (laughs) buildings. Um, Women's work is always the, you know, the the structural shit. Yes. The crow sun dance ceremony required the participation of a bate who cut down the tree used for the central pole of the ceremonial lodge. Really? <clears throat> yes. Excuse me. That being said, Ashtish was not just any bate. She was the bate leader. Contemporary accounts described her as quietly dignified and almost regal. She was allowed to take on both traditionally female and traditionally male roles in her tribe and was known for excelling at both by the time she reached adulthood, her skills in hide tanning and constructing lodges were legendary. The lodge she made for Chief Iron Bull was the largest in the tribe's history. Ooh. Yeah. She was esteemed not only for the amazing sewing skills that she had, but she was also known for her ferocity in battle. Bah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. During the incident that earned Ashtish her name, which I also find that a fascinating thing that you earn your name. 
Yeah, what are they, what are you, what are you called? I have no idea. That? That's not, I didn't, maybe mm. you have something else, but then the name that you earn is your true name. If anyone knows. Let us know. Let us know. Because I, but I think that that's really cool because, you know. Yeah. It's the same notion of like, you don't assign gender until a kid reaches a certain age or whatever. Right. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, she had taken up arms with her male brethren and gone to war against the Lakota. Wow. This act, while not unique in the history of two spirits, according to Native American historians, was so rare that it's quite difficult to find a similar story elsewhere. Um, all, and what's fascinating is I learned that she put on um, male dress when she went to fight. As part of, that, like, that was her own choice? Yeah. Or, cool. I don't know if it made it easier to fight or... Yeah. I don't know. Um, excuse me. Oshtish's bravery would have been largely forgotten were it not for a crow woman named Pretty Shield, who spoke of it many years later. While recounting mm. details of the Battle of the Rosebud, a battle in which the crow fought a coalition led by the U.S. Army against the Lakota and Cheyenne tribes, Pretty Shield leaned forward and asked, did the men ever tell you anything about a woman who fought on the Rosebud? Interesting. Yes. Surprised, the reporter replied, No. Pretty Shield chuckled, remarking that the men don't like to tell of it. She went on to tell a story uh of not just one, but two take charge women on that battlefield that day. Mm -hmm. During the battle, a crow warrior was wounded and fell from his horse. Sensing an opportunity, one of the Lakota warriors charged forward to collect his scalp. In response, Oshtish jumped off her horse, stood over him, and started shooting at the approaching Lakota as rapidly as she could load her gun. Aye. Meanwhile, a second woman, named the other Magpie, started to scream and create a distraction. Unlike Oshtish, <laughs> the other Magpie, described as pretty, brave, wild, and unmarried, had no firearm. And unmarried. Instead, she had a stick. <laughs> this sounds very familiar. Uh, what episode was that? <laughs> La Belle Rebelle, where they distracted yeah. people in the woods without their weapons. Lady and, Ann McIntosh. And it was a lady who was like, hey, you don't always need weapons. Yep. Sometimes you just need a distraction. It's not even a particularly good stick either. <laughs> they said, uh, this was a coup stick. C-O-U-P, not acoustic. Oh, I was like, I don't get it. Acoustic. <laughs> what does that stick. mean? There's acoustic. What is a acoustic? <laughs> I can't say it Please too fast. Please tell me. <laughs> um, the supremely brave and possibly crazy among certain Native American tribes would use decorative sticks in battle instead of weapons. These were called acoustics. <laughs> For each hit scored, you would rack up points and prestige in the world's most extreme game of tag. Oh my God! Hit enough people, and your coup stick got to be pretty dang fancy. The other magpies was not fancy. <laughs> it was a stick with a single feather tied to it. Oh, no. Is that why she was the other magpie? I don't know. <laughs> the other magpie, furious because her brother had recently been killed by the Lakota, oh. rode into war with a simple coup stick at her side. Riding straight at the Lakota, she alternated between waving her stick wildly, spitting at them, and yelling, my spit is my arrows. <laughs> with the Lakota distracted, the other magpie hit one of them with her acoustic. A second later, the same guy was dead from Oshtish's bullet. Fuck yeah. As if the other magpie was some sort of supernatural harbinger of death. Oh this act God. earned Oshtish her finds them and kills them name. 
As the surviving Lakota gave up their scalping mission and scattered, the other magpie dismounted and scalped the newly dead Lakota in return. All right. In the end, it was only one of 10 scalps collected by the crow during the battle. The other magpie cut it into many pieces so that more people could join in the post-battle ceremonial dancing back at camp. Wow. Yeah. Woof. (laughs) (sighs) And this is where it takes a slightly depressing turn. Um... In the years following the Battle of the Rosebud, the crow were confined to reservations, and I saw that right now they live in, like, Montana. It's, like, the biggest crow reservation is in Montana right now. Okay. Um, Various missionaries and government agents who visited the reservations were not okay with the bate or anything they considered deviant. Oh. And the author of this says, which is to say, everything save missionary position with your wife with the lights off. Yeah, supposedly. But they're not talking about the other deviant shit they do in the dark. Right. Right. Uh, In the late 1890s, this attitude reared its ugly head when an agent named Briscoe imprisoned Oshtish and the other Bates. He cut their hair and made them wear men's clothing. Various Crow described this as crazy and a tragedy, and he also forced them into manual labor. What the fuck? What? But, I mean, not to say Oshtish did manual labor before, and just because she wasn't a man doesn't mean she didn't experience what most Europeans considered to be masculine. So this person showed up and imprisoned them because of what they were? Yeah. And they, then was like, okay, now you're going to be in prison camp, basically? Kind of, yeah. It was, it was just basically like, you have to conform to these standards of gender, otherwise you're going to stay in jail. It's stupid. Um, So, yeah, she fought in battles, something that was considered masculine by most of European society. But um, not only were they stripping her gender away, but they were also stripping away her culture. Because, of course, they made her wear, like, European clothes. Of course. Male clothes and gave her a European haircut. Male haircut. Um, But the Crow Nation rallied around her. Good. The tribal leaders did not hold much sway at this point with the U.S. government, but they threw their full weight behind her and demanded that Briscoe be fired. And he was. Ah. hmm To the crow of the time, Oshtish's nature was not only completely accepted, but even celebrated. Hmm. Unfortunately, harsh treatment from white people was not at all uncommon during this time. Adoy. And a great many two spirits from other tribes ended up committing suicide after being forced into binary gender roles. A Lakota man described the treatment thusly, quote, I had heard sad stories of winktays, which is Lakota two spirits, committing suicide, hanging themselves rather than change. And after that, those who remained would end up putting on men's clothing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Oshtish's white contemporaries, who usually referred to her as him, would ask questions like why she wore women's clothes. Here we come back to this. She'd reply that she was, quote, inclined to be a woman, never a man. When they asked what work she did, she said, all women's work. And with no small amount of pride, produced an ornate dress that she had made. Her life, she tried to explain and normalize what and who she was. Under her leadership, a quiet intertribe outreach effort began to emerge, linking all the different tribes to spirits in secret communication in an attempt to facilitate understanding. Whoa. Yeah. In the early 1900s, a Baptist missionary began to denounce Oshtish from his pulpit, urging congregants to shun her and other Bate. 
Oshtish, however, continued to dress in accordance with her identity because, as she told Scott in 1919, that is my road. According to Scott, a writer, um, she still enjoyed an enviable position in her tribe. Um, going back a sec, she had received an allotment of land in the late 1880s, and census records show her as head of a household that included relatives and an adopted child whose gender was originally recorded as male and later as female. Oh! In the early 1900s, Oshtish's relations with federal agents improved. According to one of the writers of these sources, one agent's daughter remembered Maricota Jim, which is what they called her, oh. which interestingly, apparently, I couldn't figure out where this came from, but Maricota is derived from woman and Jim, girl. Oh. So I guess it was one of those like ways where they were like, oh, that's Maricota Jim. He is blah, 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 because Jim to white people is a male name. But like, yep. but she was fine with being called Maricota Jim, I guess. Because by of these what people, it because actually. It, yeah, but I didn't, I couldn't figure out how that how but some i saw Weird. it somewhere anyway um they remember maricota jim as pleasant and good-natured calling on the family to sell native crafts she visited friends at reservations in montana and idaho and acquired a reputation as the best poker player in the region <laughs> and i uh interjected here in many tribes two spirits were believed to be lucky uh, <laughs> in place of hide work, Oshtish took up sewing and in the 1920s won ribbons at local county fair for her quilts. Oh! Yeah. Photographs taken in 1928 at, uh, show Oshtish wearing elaborately decorated clothing that she had made for her own burial. Whoa. She died the following year, having outlasted and outwitted efforts over several decades for people to try and change her road. Uh, after she died in 1929, a restrictive moral code of Western missionaries took hold in the Crow Nation and became internalized. With no others to take up the role of Bate, the institution died out and its ancient knowledge with it. Oh. This happened across almost all Native American tribes. Even though there's been a modern movement to reinstitute the idea of two spirits among the tribes, it has been met with great resistance. Modern day two spirits suffer persecution and hate crimes even by members of their own tribes. While everyone agrees that two spirits once existed, the tradition, wisdom, and acceptance of these roles have been lost to history, and it's important to remember and to honor them. She is one of the only two spirits whose name and story survives to this present day. Ugh, that just... Wild, right? It shouldn't be, but it... it like, the, the wildest part of that story is that she managed to maintain her so much of her identity despite these fucking gross Europeans coming in and being no that's not how you do things this is how you do things and mm -hmm. we know mm -hmm. and we're gonna fucking force you to conform to that same thing because it's backward it's uncivilized it's <sighs> we're Europeans we know best our way is the only way white Europe is fucked a lot of shit up yeah in this world yeah it's just <laughs> yeah. so sad to me that it's a thing that that the crow nation recognizes as an important part of their history yeah but it's died out in modern day and even now anybody who tries to come forward as a bate or two spirit meets a lot of resistance because of how internalized the the you know, White European patriarchy. standards have become. Yeah. 
no matter how much you don't want to believe it. Yeah. Or want to resist it, it's still... Ingrained. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're... I mean, when was... You said she died in... 1929. 1929. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. It's a long... It's a. It's enough time for that shit to be... It's so, it's so quick to have died out. Like 1854, there was a thriving number of bates in the Cronation. And yeah. But it didn't just die out. It was beaten out. Yeah. You know, I mean. But it was so quick. She was the leader of this group of people. I mean, if these people are experiencing violence and jail or accept that this is what's really true. Mm-hmm. Then, then it's not actually that surprising. Right. It's not actually, like, so fast. You know? It's... If you have no other alternative because this fucking race of people have come in and been like, we're gonna fuck your shit up unless you say this isn't a thing, hmm. what are you gonna do? But that's the, that's the story of Oshtish, and I... I didn't know a whole hell of a lot about, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd heard the term two spirit and, but I'd certainly never heard Bate before, but that's, no. that's very specific to the crow. Yeah. And now I know like wink, winkte, winkta for Lakota. Mm-hmm. Oh, please forgive my, uh, I know I'm not pronouncing the Lakota word right, but I assume Bate is correct because it has an E with the, the accent you over it. Yeah. And so that usually means it's A. Yeah. I, I just love that notion of being able to handle, you know, being a, a healer, being con- in charge of constructing lodges and yeah. hiding, tanning, you know, skins and just being in butchering and all of that. And then also just being like, all right, you guys going to war? Great. I'll, jo- I'll join in. I'll be there, too. Yeah, and to be such a, a deeply trusted person in your and community, role, yeah. in part because you inhabit that space, that that because of that, because of of who you are, right? Thank you. Yeah, that was so. Now awesome. you see why it's like slightly complicated. I was like, yeah, it's not the same as being non-binary in today's terms, right? Because she identified as being a woman, but was also distinctly not like a bate is a different thing. Yeah. But, but, yeah. But I, that's why I was like, she's totally an appropriate person to discuss. Oh, my, oh, my sources. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, so I got a lot of my information from, um, Rejected Princesses, uh, makingqueerhistory.com. Uh, Wikipedia, not really for Oshtish, didn't have a whole lot of information, but I looked up a lot about Two-Spirit and Crow Nation from Wikipedia. And uh, Encyclopedia.com, which annoyingly referred to Oshtish with he, him pronouns throughout the entire thing. And I was like, that's... Which one did that? Encyclopedia.com. Of course. Yeah. Um, and called and called her a burdash through the entire article. Lovely. And I was like, wow, you guys are way fucking behind. <laughs> um... And then also the female soldier.com. Ooh, cool. Which sounds like a cool blog yeah. situation. Uh, yeah. So, um, that, yeah. that's that. 
Thank you. Thank you for being there with me on that journey and <laughs> enduring the conversation. Um, but the point is, if we aren't, if we weren't sensitive to it at the outset, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't be handling it maturely and responsibly. Yeah. Discussing this person who I think is super awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you, Ben, for sort of bringing up the question of like what it means for us to be doing stories like that on this podcast and kind of inspiring us to dig deeper and think harder about what our um, aim is, what our aim is and what our responsibility is when telling these stories and mm-hmm. all of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Yeah, this yeah. This was like a deep, like, soul-searching kind of thing. Like, That's so we important. needed to do it, I think. <laughs> I mean, just, And man. thanks to Oshtish for... Uh, being inspiring. Being inspiring and making us think about how we maybe pigeonholed ourselves into a, into a binary, which was never our intent. Yeah. Yeah. But here we really... go. We're busting on out. June is busting out all over. <laughs> June? It's a carousel reference. And I don't even oh. know why I did because I fucking hate that show. <laughs> In it's general. It's also not June, Deanna. No, it's not. It's August. In fact, you probably have some on this day in history. Oh, look at you. You're so right. I do. I just like saw that segue and I was like, oh my God, I am going to take it. Yeah. 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 Um, so this episode's dropping on August 8th, 8-8, as we have said before. 8-8-18. 8-8-18. Um, so on August 8th, 1863, following his defeat in the Battle of Gettysburg, General Robert E. Lee sends a letter of resignation to Confederate President Jefferson Davis, which is refused upon receipt. Oh. (laughs) Which I thought was interesting. Oh, one (laughs) quick tangent. It's so funny. One of my friends in grad school, because I went to grad school in Georgia, she went to like high school in Georgia. And she was saying, she, uh, there was one time a teacher asked, like, how many presidents there have been. And, oh. and she got the number, quote unquote, wrong because they were teaching that Jefferson Davis was a U.S. president. <gasps> and it was like, uh, no, very distinctly no. No, being the president of the Confederacy is very much not a U.S. president. I gotta wonder, like, just how different their textbooks look. Right? Versus the ones we got. And the ones we got, clearly, like, we've already talked about their many issues. But, oh, yeah. Uh, this is a Mondo issue. That's a huge that's problem. That's just, fa- that's alternate history. That's fiction. That's I mean, pure just fiction. Sure, Jefferson Davis is a huge player in United States history. Uh huh. He was never a U.S. president. Wow. The Confederacy was specifically trying to be a different country. That's mind blowing. That blows my fucking mind. Any what? Jesus uh, Christ. August 8th, 1908. Wilbur Wright makes his first flight at a race course in, at Le Mans, France. It is the Wright Brothers' first, first public flight. Ooh. First public flight. First public. Um, <laughs> uh, August 8th, 1925, the first national march of the Ku Klux Klan in D.C., which had about 200,000 people. Best day ever. Insane, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they could all just... That organization can die. Um, not the people. Would be nice. They can all convert to being normal, but the organization <laughs> can certainly die. Uh, 1945, 
the London Charter is signed by France, the UK, and the Soviet Union, and the US establishing the laws and procedures for the Nuremberg Trials. Oh. All right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yep. Um, August 8th, 1969, at a zebra crossing in London, photographer Ian McMillan takes the iconic photo that becomes the cover image of the Beatles' Abbey Road. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Also August 8th, 1969, the Manson family commits the Tate murders. Whoa. So. That's today? That's today. Oh my God. Which, that is, that shit is so, I didn't really know that much about it. It wasn't like a facet of history that I became terribly obsessed with until I listened to the, there's a, a podcast called You Must Remember This that Karina Longworth does. She's like a it's a 10 part se- like mini it's like a season about the the Manson family and cuz it, it's called Charles Manson's Hollywood mm. and it is fascinating and she does a really good job of delving really deep into a lot of details and tying it all together. I but check that out. absolutely horrifying just like way that he manipulated and and brainwashed people and well, there's all anyone... he wanted all he wanted was to be famous august 8th 2007 a huge tornado touches not huge ef2 i don't know what that means uh ef2 tornado touches down in king's county in richmond county new york the most powerful tornado in new york to date and the first in brooklyn since 1889 oh which what year 19 nope 2007 crazy which i don't know if you got the other night I was laying in bed at 10.30 and a fucking, my phone gets an alert that it's like tornado warning, like take shelter now. And I was like, excuse me, do tornadoes happen in New York? But apparently they do and they're, but it's very rare. And it was be, it was the Bronx and Nassau County, which is Long Island. And then um, the interim, and I guess I was close enough to one of those counties that my phone went off and scared the bejesus out of me because it was like, take shelter now. And I was Jesus. just like, um, am I going to die? It was fine. Well, and you you are from Colorado, so you know what it means to get a tornado warning. Right. Like on your phone, like that shit can be really scary. Yeah. I remember getting one when I was still living in, um, when I still had my condo and it was like, very, there was a tornado very, very near us and we spent like half the night just sitting in the basement waiting for the t- the tornado warning to yeah. go away and it was raining and crazy and like that's I mean, terrifying. Is, I hadn't thought about tornadoes in general for years cuz yeah. tornadoes don't happen really in Georgia not in, in by the coast cuz they don't happen much by the coast which is why I was so surprised <laughs> here and then of course after that I like went down a YouTube rabbit hole of looking up stuff about tornadoes so i thought it was fascinating that this popped up on my on this day i was like oh crazy yeah very relevant for us for me and my my rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) it's so relevant it's your most relevant relevant to me and so that's what that's what matters therefore i fucked that up (laughs) i was trying to sound all sassy and then i fucked it up you, you done fucked it up. That's what I do. It's what you do. <laughs> I'm just not very good at being feisty and sad. Well, nope, nope. No, that's take it a back. lie. That's a big fat lie. But being cool and confident about it. Oh, right. <laughs> I always just sound like an angry dork. <laughs> I like that, though. An angry dork. That's me. 
<laughs> oh my god. That makes me think of we watched you that was you, right? We watched She's the Man mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Do you. Did you ever see the next one that she did, that Amanda Bynes did, that was a Snow White and uh, the Seven Dwarves? What? You've never seen this? Oh my fucking God. I don't remember the name of it, but she. it's about Amanda Bynes and her mother was in a in a sorority and so Amanda Bynes' character is like what? Alright, I gotta go pledge the sorority and so she goes and... This is fake. You no, dreamed this. No, I did not. I did not. Ben's finding it right now. And and she ends up with the seven dorks on campus. What? And she be... Yeah, she like... That sounds weird. Anyway, it's fucking... It's not as good as She's the Man. Oh, that movie's great. But it is fun. Sydney White. Sydney White. That's it. Sydney White. Yeah, we better watch that so that you guys believe me. Oh my god. Yeah. That's my tidbit for <laughs> for the day. Hannah. Yeah. What are you excited about this week? <laughs> so I'm excited about um there is a meteor shower. What? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's gonna be a meteor shower. It's the uh Perside meteor shower. P-E-R-S-E-I-D. And I believe it's gonna be brightest on the twelfth and the or the thirteenth. I'll have to double check which Whoa, one it is. We should try and go somewhere that we can actually see the sky. Um, you, this is one that, even if you're in the city, even if you're in a fairly light polluted city, you're supposed to be able to see it. Ooh, so, so it's like huge. You can, yeah. So supposedly you'll be able to see it in New York, like find a rooftop or something, and you might actually catch a glimpse of it. Um, but I'm excited about that because I've never actually seen a meteor shower and we're actually going to do our best to witness this one. So that's what I'm sag- excited about. That that's was... fucking awesome. I want to, yeah, let's do it. Let's go somewhere. All right. Cool. All right. Yay. Yay. All right, girl. Should we sign off? I guess we should. Before we do, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe as per usual. Tell your friends about us. Yeah. I feel like we're doing good works here. So, like, it's worth talking about us with people you also like, you know? That's just my feeling about it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. No, I agree. I agree. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I agree. Um, and also, we... I mean, we would love to get stories of your own about women in your own life, if you have them, your moms, your grandmoms, your whoever's who've done interesting things. Did they, like, invent a snack cereal? I don't care what it was. If it was cool and you liked it, tell us about it. They invented a snack cereal? (laughs) Is that a thing? I just realized a snack or a cereal. Is there, a, is there such a thing as a snack cereal? Okay, I, I eat, snack a, I cereal. eat cereal as a snack all the time. Reese's Puffs is my favorite snack cereal ever. Anyway, <laughs> so do that. Email that. Email those stories to us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Snack cereal. <laughs> um, Just tell be us, in touch. We tell ha- us about I know your we favorite have, snack cereal. We have enough subscribers that... We, I know that you guys have cool stories to tell, you know. Yeah, we know they exist, and you're fucking holding out on us, you pieces of shit. Oh, I'm Please sorry. don't say that. <laughs> Hannah got a little feisty. That she, okay, I, I, I agree with the back. sentiment that I know some of you are holding out on us. I apologize. None of you are pieces of shit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm, yeah, I'm she's, violent she's when caffeinated. She's ag- aggressive when caffeinated. Yeah. Be right. careful. I'm going to go decaffeinate yep. with some wine. Cool. 
Okay. Thanks, Han. Peace out, witches. Bye. Till next week, everybody. Till next week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for listening. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, mm-hmm. all of that. It's great. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter at GWBB Podcast. Instagram is the same. And we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Hey guys, you know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, The link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our (laughs) Ko-Fi. So that is ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Um, Coffee start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by Pinecast. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.